Welcome to the Political Notebook podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher, and we just started back to school a couple weeks ago, and I'm excited here to talk about education issues with two leaders and representatives of the education group Save Our Schools. We have Beth Lewis, a fifth grade teacher. Welcome, Beth. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And Don Penich-Thacker. Welcome. Thank you. And you're an ASU professor. That's right. Uh, so in just over a year, Save Our Schools has become a force in Arizona politics. Uh, they started in opposition to a law that would have expanded education vouchers in Arizona. After the legislature passed and the governor signed the expansion, they mounted a referendum campaign gathering 100,000, over 100,000 signatures uh, in 90 days, um, successfully referring that law to the ballot in November for the voters to decide. So now that voucher expansion is on the ballot uh, as Prop 305 up for a vote this November and Save Our Schools is currently running a no on 35 campaign to uh, to defeat it. So my first question uh, is about what about this particular law uh, fired you know fired you up to get involved because we've already we already had before 2017 a robust charter system there was already a voucher program in place for certain students um so let's start with you beth what what about this law because I've, I've read that you kind of all um showed up and, and organized from there uh, what caused you to personally get involved once this yeah, so as a teacher and as a mom of two kids who are just starting in the school system in Arizona, uh, kinder and first grade, a couple years ago, I started really investigating this uh, classroom crisis and why our funding was so low. And as I started asking questions, I really started to realize that um, there, there was a lot of money that was being siphoned away to private schools. And so um, as I investigated, I saw that some of those were great programs, right? Like the ESAs for special needs, but there were some programs that seemed really backwards when our, our public schools were suffering. And when I saw this universal expansion, which is a 500% expansion, go through the legislature with no public support, um, basically pushed through by the governor, I just felt like we had to draw a line in the sand and stop it. And so, but, but at that point, it wasn't a we, right? It was, it was just people showing up individually. So you kind of got fired up to... Yeah, I was there in the gallery the night that it uh, went down, and Don was there, and a bunch of other people that went on to form Save Our Schools. And was it similar for you, Don, or were you involved in politics or education issues before this? I was involved in politics mainly in my own town. So I live in Tempe, and I would, you know, volunteer for a couple city council campaigns or, you know, do some canvassing with friends who I knew were running for positions. So I was involved, but not at a state level. It's like I would pay attention to local stuff, my mm -hmm. own town, and then yeah. I would pay attention to national stuff, you uh -huh. know, what was on NPR in the morning and uh -huh. that kind of thing. Um, but that same year, the beginning of 2017, I finally said, you know, I'm as a college professor, I have a flexible schedule and I'm, you know, it's part of our job to be engaged in the community. So what's going on at the state level? Uh -huh. I want to learn a little bit more about that. Um, so started going to the Capitol, going to some hearings, and this particular one that you referenced earlier, this voucher expansion, really caught my attention mm -hmm. because, you know, as someone who works in education, I also have very young children. I just thought, what is this? Um, another kind of interesting element is my family, because we are an active duty military family, we actually qualify for the ESA to have one for my children. The original one, right? The original okay. one that is in existence since 2011, as you said. 
And so when I learned about this and learned that military families are one of the the groups that's included, it I kind of thought about it. I said, well, but wait a second. We're eligible, but there's a lot more to using an ESA than just existing. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to get your kids to that private school that you've chosen. You need Mm -hmm. to be able to make up the difference between the ESA voucher and the tuition. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as a military family, I am one of those people who said, yeah, I could take one of these from both of my kids, uh-huh. but we don't have a lifestyle where that would work for us. Uh-huh. We need our public school. And every time we have moved as a military family, mm-hmm. we have relied on the public school yeah. to be so, there for us. So. so you're saying like in your context, even getting the voucher, there'd be other things oh, yeah. involved depending yeah. on the school. And that- so that is part of what captivated me and kept me coming back because I have a very kind of unique perspective on why people need more information about Mm -hmm. this particular thing. And so that just kept me captivated. Yeah. And so, um, Beth, you said something about uh, had no public support for this. And uh, why do you think they did? I I hear, you know, I hear arguments of, uh, you know, Republicans just hate education and they're trying to to destroy public education and privatize it. there's a, they would probably say that they believe in vouchers and they believe in uh, this as a method of improving education for everyone. Um, so what makes you say there's no public support? And, and do you guys think that uh, there is bad intentions or, or things behind it that are um, bad intentions? Or do you think this is a good faith effort to uh, just a, you know, a philosophical dis- agreement, uh, disagreement on their part from you on how to improve it for everyone? Sure. So I'll tackle the the element of public support first. So evidenced by the many, many, many parents and teachers who showed up to give testimony against ESA voucher expansion um, and the hundreds of people that logged into the request to speak system at the Capitol versus, I think, 10 lobbyists who logged in for it. Um, We also were there and we watched how it went down. So we saw that a lot of Republican legislators were actually not wanting to vote in that direction. And they really got their arms twisted. There is a a lot of threatening and bullying that, By you know, who? well, <laughs> we can rely on rumors for that. Yeah. But I mean, I think what it boils down to is there are national interests that want Arizona to be ground zero. They want to have this big voucher experiment. They want to show that, you know, these private schools can take over mm-hmm. and w- we don't need to have those outside interests come into Arizona and put up that fight. Our public schools are doing great for the amount of funding that we get. We're phenomenal, frankly. And 95 percent of families choose our public schools so we need to have them funded we already have a ton of choice right yeah um and that and that happened right around that was 2017 that happened right after uh Mm -hmm. trump's election and that was right when you know the big uh kind of the fuss about betsy devos and 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 it seemed like a lot of this and even some of the education activism now i mean there's so much uh so much of that element uh, element to it, um, but just kind of like let's let's I'm gonna use an example that uh, my dad Robert Roberts not not here today is up in uh, northern Arizona, but he he used the example of like let's say there's a middle class family or something that uh, the parents are taxpayers they prefer uh, a private education maybe a religious education but can't quite afford it. Not every school is ten fifteen thousand dollars. Uh, so what, like philosophically, what's wrong? If the public schools aren't going to be, and they're not going to pay to educate these 
kids that, that move out to the school, what's wrong with them taking what they would call, you know, their, their fair share, their, their share of uh, the taxes to, uh, to go to a different school or, or homeschool if they, if they wanted that? You know, um, I think the situation would be different. I know it was for me philosophically and for a lot of people that I talked to from all parties. It would be different if our public school system was, you know, funded at more, you know, competitive rates, if we didn't have this teacher shortage, I kind of use the analogy like, you need to pay the electricity bill Mm -hmm. before you pay for your HBO subscription. Mm -hmm. So let's get our public school system, the one that is serving 95% Mm -hmm. of our future workforce Mm -hmm. of this state, let's get that into good shape, and then start having fun, creative conversations about how to, you know, supplement someone who wants to go to a private school. Is that the role of the state Mm -hmm. to be, to have a a, a say in that choice? Um, You know, a lot of people like to say, you know, I don't love how the street outside of, you know, in my cul-de-sac is paved, Mm -hmm. but I don't have the option to say like, you know, give me back my money and I'm going to pave my section myself, myself, you know? And I think that that's one of those things that, you know, we can discuss philosophically, but at the end of the day, we all live in a in a society. Yeah. And there are some things that for the good of society, we need to keep in good working order. And then we can start kind of looking at the luxuries and looking at the perks. And I, I feel like a lot of people, including myself, look at the private school voucher system mm-hmm. in much the same way. Yeah. Well, can I add to yeah, that? Yeah, I think yeah. that there is a bit of a cavalier attitude with that. It's kind of that backpack full of cash. Mm-hmm. Like, I paid my taxes and I want to just take that, mm-hmm. should travel with the child. But we also have to look at the ramifications of that. Like, if I have 34 students in a fifth grade class and seven of those students opt out, um, that could be, what, $35,000, $40,000? That's my salary. So I'm now out and we've got 28 kids who don't have a teacher, mm-hmm. right? So that does impact the school. Sometimes you hear about it saving money, but yeah. in reality, if you take seven kids away, you're not affecting the air conditioning. You're not affecting the buses, mm-hmm. but you are affecting the school's budget. It's just financial sense. We can't mm-hmm. fund two school systems. And then that's, and maybe to your point, Don, too, about... Um, that we're not we're not adequately funded right now. Mm-hmm. I think everyone everyone agrees that. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, seeing that as luxury because you could say, well, you know, a couple people maybe going to a private school that's not going to be that big of a deal. But you know, given that we're already you know way underfunded, you know, a couple could a couple students could be a big deal. And I think we it is a big deal because there's so many people competing you know now for these charter schools for. For, for students yeah. so that a couple people for them makes a big deal either way. So I think that's, uh, that's a fair point that a couple students here or there, even if it's not going to be thousands right away, we don't know. Um, but that still would have an impact. What about, what are you guys philosophy about like charter schools? Cause that's kind of like, you know, contracting for something. Uh, do you guys have a, a stance for it or against it or what's your, <laughs> yeah, when <laughs> when we were forming as Save Our Schools Arizona, we had this, you know, kind of kitchen table conversation about what about charters? You know, they are public schools, but they're privately run. So where does that kind of fall within what we're trying to achieve here? And and ultimately we said, well, but they are, they're public schools. And on paper and the majority of the time they take any student who comes to them, right? There are bad apples in Mm -hmm. that batch. And we see a lot of those headlines, Mm -hmm. but as a public school, 
you know, there's reporting that has to happen. So I think we kind of said there's work to be done in the charter system. Uh Um, There are improvements that could be made. Same is true of the traditional district public school system. So, you know, you kind of have to take one bite of the elephant at a time. And as you said, like what's happening uh, nationally, you know, that the ESA voucher expansion, it, it was kind of um, almost a decision of necessity to say that's a threat that we want to focus on now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, and that, uh, in that, in the effort, it seems like from my perspective that you guys have been able to maintain a sense of nonpartisanship, like actually in a true sense. I think some people like say, you know, but, but you seem like you have Republican supporters, uh, mm-hmm. and you had a commercial out with a, two sisters. One of them is a Republican, one of them is a Democrat, and they both are voting no on 305. You're, you know, you're still a young group. I think I, I just assumed you guys were around longer than, than one year. But what, what, have you, <laughs> what have you done, and maybe what's, what are the conversations like, and what do you do to make sure that you stay uh, nonpartisan, focused on, on your issue and not get wrapped up in, in something that would, that would hurt you? What are some things that you try to try to maintain? Um, I mean, we, we've had a lot of messaging discipline, so it's really important for us to be able to reach out to charter school parents and teachers and moderate voters and every person from every walk of life because education affects all of us in the same way. And we truly believe that education is a nonpartisan issue. The fact that it's become so polarized is is a major source of the problems that we're, we're going through right now in Arizona. So for us, I think we want to be a, a main driver of solutions. And the only way to do that is to build a bridge and to work our way through the middle. Um, It's been tough, right? There are times when you see why it's so easy for some groups to just kind of fall in or steer into the skid and go with a party. But, um, you know, I'm I'm glad that we haven't. I really think we can accomplish so much more if we go forward in the direction we're in. Yeah, I think a lot of groups um, or individuals, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you agree with me and you're passionate about this? Come join us. And we do that at Save Our Schools, but we also approach people or, or you know, track down people and say, wait, you don't agree with us. Mm-hmm. Explain why. I need to hear your perspective. And then we take it back and we talk about it. And, and so it's, as an organization, it's been really important to us to not make, not surround ourselves with the choir, yeah. you know, with our own fans, but rather to, to reach out and sometimes even pester uh-huh. people that we know don't at its face, on its face, don't mm-hmm. agree with us and understand why that is and possibly adjust, mm-hmm. um, You know, this is a big um, difference between Save Our Schools and a lot of the long-term established education Mm -hmm. groups is that we have absolutely no qualms, no problem with the existing ESA program. There are things like, again, as we said, as in public schools, as in charter schools, Mm -hmm. there are improvements that could and should be made, but we didn't want to go whole hog and say this program that is serving certain populations of students, we're opposed to it, Right. you know, and that was a very careful, you know, kind of study on our part to mm-hmm. say nothing is black and white. Nothing is extreme 100%. Yeah. This program exists. It's existed for several years. It has its place, but a 500% expansion when the public school system is starving, mm, no, yeah. not right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, it sounds like a lot of kind of intention, intentionality yeah. behind the relationships you form, and um, and I, I definitely see that message discipline um, as well. I have a question about your, the campaign uh, going like going on right now because there was a. It seemed like the, the so the legislature when you when you got the referendum on the ballot, there was a discussion of what what do they do? They could have they could have changed it a little bit. They could have just repealed it. Or they could just let it go, uh, like it's going now, to the to the ballot. And it seemed like um, there were kind of there at least some lawmakers were talking to you guys, and um, I think that's pretty pretty cool. That so so early on, there's already kind of a seat at the table for you guys. So I think that yeah. that's a testament yeah. to uh, you know that intentionality and that and those decision making. But it seemed like if you wanted to, you could have convinced lawmakers to vote down no which would make, you know, it already done. So could you explain that decision a little bit of why you pref- why you would prefer it to go um, on the ballot? Why not just just take the easy win, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to those outside interests that we talked about, where we could tell that this was going to keep rearing its ugly head. Mm-hmm. And we felt that, you know, this year will be a referendum on education. People are really focused on these issues. This was the time to bring up this fight. This was the time to let voters grapple with the issue, get the information they needed, um, and vote no on ESA voucher expansion. Right. Um, I think, too, that, you know, we're a grassroots organization. We started with not a single penny in our pockets. Right now, we maybe have three pennies in our pocket. (laughs) Um, We're entirely volunteer. And so when we found out that there was kind of a buzz at the Capitol about repealing this, and and some people said to us, they want to do your work for you. Just let them repeal it. You're done. Like, call it a victory and move on. But we said, but what about the 2,000 volunteers across Mm -hmm. the state who gave up their summer to collect signatures. What about the 111,540 people who signed that petition for us? And what about the millions of voters who told us, I want to cast my vote? You know, we felt like that would be a betrayal of all of those people. And we knew it was going to be a lot of work for us. We knew (laughs) it was going to prolong, you know, everything that we started. But at the end of the day, we just said, like, you know, we started this because we said that voters deserve to chime in. Yeah. How are we now going to say, yeah, voters don't need to chime in, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? Yeah. So it's... We I don't mean, give up very easily. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we're pretty tenacious. But I, I mean, just, uh, like, for me, I think I'm more of a cautious, sort of like, we have a sure thing, let's do it. But um, it seems like... It's a sure thing for four months, right? Back in... It, it'll be right back in January. And we yeah. really had every legislator that was willing to go to bat for us and do what we wanted them to do. They said, you know, you're just going to have to fight this again in January. Like, I'll do it. I'll repeal yeah. the thing. That's fine. But are you ready for that? Yeah. So, And um, it still may happen, of course. You think that's going to happen? <laughs> they will be bit? The voucher proponents will be back? So... Are you seeing, this might be a perpetual, I mean, unless we get different lawmakers and we'll see what happens in November, but, uh, um, and that's, I mean, it shouldn't, I get that um, maybe philosophically, you know, there's differences, but uh, I don't think it should be a partisan, like, gosh, it shouldn't be, education shouldn't be a partisan uh, issue. I know there's disagreements about whatever, Um but do you see yourselves as like keep fighting the same fight over and over, and these voucher people back uh, all over the place? Um, I know you 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 haven't really gotten involved in uh, endorsing candidates or anything like that. I think you did support outlaw dirty money. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, we never even yeah. endorsed though. We made we made it a policy to not not endorse, endorse. anything else. Yeah, but we help them with their collection efforts. So not not to take your focus or eyes off the off the upcoming election, but uh, what's I mean, is there what's next? Do you see yourself evolving into other education issues, or do you see yourselves as just a kind of the voucher watchdogs? It's not happening uh, here. Yeah, you know, we've talked about this internally, and I think that we kind of see each other as maybe the unchecked or unaccountable privatization watchdogs. And so, you know, we have these vouchers that, you know, don't have enough transparency. They don't have enough accountability attached to them. And and those will probably, you know, pop their head back up in a different form. And we want to be the group, you know, on that and paying attention. But there's also these things called um, student tuition organizations or STOs. And these are the tax credits that mm, you yeah. can say like, oh, I want to give my $400 instead of to taxes. I want to give it straight to the XYZ school. A lot of people love that and a lot of people use it. But why is it that you can give more to a private school than you can to a public school? You know, shouldn't that be equal? There, That's a lot of money, taxpayer money. But as if you want to give it to a public school, you don't even have the choice to give more. Yeah. But if you want to give it to a private school, you can give three times more. So that costs Arizona's public school system over $100 million a year just because folks can't contribute if they want Mm -hmm. to to the public and charter schools. Why is that? You know, there are a lot of things that we could be working on in education in the state of Arizona that are not partisan. They don't have anything to do with who's sitting in what chair. It's just a matter of kind of putting the math on the table and figuring out you know, do we want all of our schools to be in really good shape or do we want only some of our schools to be in really good mm-hmm. shape? I think you can talk to any CEO, anyone who needs a doctor, anyone who wants to go to grad school, anyone and say, oh, I want the most people possible to yeah. have gotten a good education. Yeah. Not like I just want to cross my fingers and hope that I got one of those brophy kids, yeah. you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, we really see ourselves as champions of the system of public education to protect and preserve that system for many decades to come. And and we're seeing all of these attacks in many different ways. And I think with that kind of broad scope, we've pulled in a lot of different groups that are willing to work with us from the business community mm-hmm. and from kind of unexpected affiliations that um, I think we can advance the issue. And we've created a space that where it's safe to support public education regardless of your political affiliation. And I think that that's the most important thing we and any other groups could have done in the last year because, you know, it's not about the R or the D, right? It's it's about supporting all of our kids. So we've seen, even if you look at our questionnaire, there were many Republicans who came out and said that they were going to vote no on Prop 305, Mm -hmm. Republican candidates running for office. And I thought it was actually kind of funny that we had so many non-responses and only six candidates in the entire state for um, legislature uh, said that they would vote yes. So only six were willing to come out and say that they support Prop 305, yeah, which is a little bit insane considering that there were, what, 46 senators and representatives last year, many, most of whom are running for office again, who obviously voted for it. Mm-hmm. So you do the math, yeah. and people are kind of shir- shrinking away from the issue. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think you guys are kind of one, one that at least the public 
the public public yeah. argument. We'll see for sure uh, <laughs> yes, in uh, in November. I've got one last question for you guys. Um, there's a we're just starting school back, and we're all in front of students. There's this phrase that when you start school as a teacher, you shouldn't smile until Christmas. <laughs> you guys have heard that? Yeah. yeah. So I tried that my first the, year. It was awful. The philosophy <laughs> is that too. you should be as mean and as possible to get the discipline uh, until they're in line, and then you start showing your personality. So you don't follow that adage? No. <laughs> do you, do you have, what's your, like, do you have a philosophy or like, what do you, what do you, how do you, yeah, what's I your te- approach to start the year? What do you have? I teach fifth graders, so relationships really matter. They want to be big kids, but they're really little babies still. Mm-hmm. Um, they want you to know their name and be able to pronounce it and know what their favorite TV show and work it into the curriculum. They want you to care about their life. They can't really hear what you're teaching until they feel that you're invested in them. So I really make it a point to get to know my kids and any of that like kind of traditional sitting in rows lecture style, just that doesn't work for me. Mostly because it doesn't work for kids. Yeah, but <laughs> I smile grade. a lot on the first day, even. Don, any tips for the f- <laughs> first year? You know, I uh, before I went into education, I was an army officer, and so I definitely started my teaching career in like drill sergeant mode. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and soon figured out that that does not work well. But that what does work well, uh, which I did also get from the army, is letting the people who are looking at you know that you care about their success. I'm not like I get no joy out of an F grade. I get no joy out of you missing class. I get joy out of you doing well, loving this and going on and being successful. And so that's that's kind of my approach is I'm here. I might be serious, but at the end of the day, like I'm in this for you. And you got to be in it for you. Yeah. And I think that when you tell students that, I've I've had a much better time <laughs> doing that than making them do push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with those philosophies. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for uh, for doing the podcast. It was really really fun and I think informative conversation. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or any other podcasting app.